Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the program. Tonight's special guest is Linwood Jackson, Jr. Unfortunately, due to some computer problems, technical problems, Linwood is not here, but do not fear. Hopefully he's able to sign on soon. So I've got some special music to play. Here we go. I think Linwood may be here. Linwood. Yes. Hello, sir. How are you? It is a pleasure to be here. I'm well, very good. good. Thank I'm you. glad. Yes, I was going to play some special music for our listening audience until we were able to connect. I had a little bit of issue, but more than happy to be here right now. Well, thank you. I'm glad you made it, too. Glad you made it, too. All right, let's begin this journey together. My very first question is, what is poetry? That's tough because I can go the, I guess, the natural, uh, traditional route and tell you that it's a, a literary work composed of something expressing feelings and emotions, but I'm just not that kind of person, so I'm just going to say right. poetry is critical revelation, poetry is benevolent insight, poetry is public display of personal revolution, poetry is reflection magnified by conflict, um, poetry is government. So to to me, the definition of poetry, it's basically life and learning and play, and the result right, of that, nice. the growth factor of that. Why is it important? It's important because we need critical reflection. We need, and I know for me, I began writing poetry around um, seven years old. All right. So everything, everything, yeah, everything that I was passing through, even at that young age, I could see that what I was seeing wasn't reality. And so I needed, I needed something. And I really didn't know what that something was. And mm-hmm. whatever came out of me was poetry. And I used poetry as a way to make sense of my reality. And that's why I kind of define poetry as critical revelation because the reality that we're told to us is not the actual reality that is within us. Like we all have a specific lens of how we see something. And for me, having that outlet, it was important because I needed the critical analysis of who I wasn't. I needed to analyze who I was and then I needed to structure how I can, how I can do that even at that young age. So oh, it's, it's nice. important very because we, yeah, we need that structure. We, we, we definitely need that structure. And in the form of poetry, poetry is a beautiful outlet to get to it because we're not simply writing down feelings. We're questioning feelings. Where mm. Poetry is skepticism uncovered, revealing light, light about who we are. And so we need that, that form of critical skepticism about our own selves 
so that then we can know who we are to be skeptical about what is going on around us and outside of us. I agree. Skepticism uncovered. Nicely phrased. I like that. What are some of the predominant themes of your work? Experience. Um, My current book of poetry that I just published entitled Growth, it is basically my nine-year journey putting the life practices and the philosophy that I've learned from within the Bible. So my my experience is is based on the philosophy that is in the Bible. I, I study the philosophy in the Bible and I implement it into my, my daily routine, into my thought processes and also into my actions as best as possible through trial and error. And so... Mm-hmm. In my poetry, my poetry is just a reflection of trial and error and the distinction showing that there really is no such thing as failure because you can fall back a couple of times, but as long as you can just realize what you did wrong, which is, again, why poetry is so critical, to analyze where you've lost and then to see that what you've actually done, you've, you haven't lost anything. You've actually won something by first thinking about it and by two, creatively articulating it, and three, critically analyzing that creative articulation. And so for me in my writings, that's exactly what my writings are about. They're about right. the criticisms of, of myself that I have found through establishing who I am through trial and error, through failure and success, and through learning that no matter what, like nothing matters. As long as you can keep comprehending where you fell off, you can never, ever go back to that again. So that's where my, the foundation of my writing comes from. Share a piece of your work. Will do. And I will actually share an unreleased poem. All right. And this one I, I entitled Teach Me. One thing I know, and one thing that is certain, is that you cannot be directed, coerced, instructed, or tamed. I know only one thing, and I'm sure about only one thing, and it is that you cannot be led, guided, counseled, or controlled. I know only frustration and disappointment when trying to entice you or when trying to court your favor. I know sorrow and anxiety when thinking I can persuade you. Why are you so difficult? Who has created you to think? Why is your limit intelligently established? And so much so that you will not defy the boundary given to you. What more can I say but teach me your language. Educate me on your code of being that I may be happy, healthy, confident, and industrious. What more can I say but teach me when realizing that to war against you is to endanger my well-being. Teach me your conscience. Allow me to revere your standard, and I will never violate it but will perfect it for well-roundedness. Teach me your voice, 
familiarize me with the sound of your context, and I will forever serve your mind, honoring your knowledge until I die. Because it is impossible to predict your, an- your actions. Because it is impossible to know you. Feed me your character and rehearse with me your dialect that I may refresh my perception of you. Teach me how to cooperate with you because I'm wasting time and also myself fighting against your force and trying to impose my own. Teach me. Beautiful, Linwood. Beautiful piece of writing. Teach me. Thank you. So powerful. As you think about poetry, how does a poem begin for you with an idea, a form, or an image? I'm going to say neither. I'm All going right. to say for me personally, it's it's feeling. Um, when I write poetry, I write poetry to to celebrate my negative feelings, and I write poetry to celebrate my positive feelings. I'm I'm celebrating my negative feelings because I know that what I'm feeling negatively, there's a reason for it. And so I need to understand that reason and I need to celebrate the wrong that I feel is being done to me. By by writing about that by writing about that wrong, I can then come to a knowledge of what is right. And same thing with positive feelings. I write from a positive standpoint because something is good. And I want to know what that good is so I can keep on doing that good. So for me, for me, it's, it's, it's based on feeling. That's, that's the only thing I can say. It's, it's not imagery. It's, it's not what I've, it's, it's feeling. It's what I'm going through. It's what I've been through. And it's what I anticipate to go through. Despite the hope that I have, the disappointment I felt, and the vision that I see of of myself in the future. So it's for me, it's 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 what I feel. It's what I feel yeah. now, it's what I felt before to add up to what I feel now, just to make sense of what I'm going through. All right. Do you think someone can be a poet if they don't feel emotions strongly? I think so. Um Tell because, me more. Yeah. When I think about poetry, I don't want to limit poetry to words, and I don't want to limit poetry to to a page with ink. I don't even want to limit poetry to, you know, painting on a canvas. I would I would say that poetry is even if you don't think you are a poet, just look at yourself and how you're acting and behaving, because our behavior is a reflection of the poetry that we are. Our thoughts are also a reflection and can be poetic in essence, whether they're positive or or negative. So I think anyone can honestly be a poet. It just depends on the outlet. All right. Share another one of your works. Of course. I'm going to take this one from my um my book Growth and the title of this is called Growth. I have deceived myself of my worth, of my beauty, 
of my condition. I have lied to me about love, about ambition, about vision. Yet you remain. You see beyond the mess, the mess that I am, to coordinate your affection so that you don't have to leave, even if it is what you desire. You wonder why I die for you. You wonder why I stress over us. You wonder why I don't listen. When such a love overwhelms me, you think I don't know. You think I can't perceive, but I do. And I'm not afraid to ignore what is so that I may have what should be. Because what is life? What is this? It is a repetitive sitcom that never tires. It is an unfolded tragedy unfolding anew. It is nothing desirable, but because of you, it is worth living. I live for you. I love for you. I am broken for you. I resurrect for you. I expect for you. I am patient for you. I am lenient for you. I starve for you. I am buried for you. I circulate for you. I know injury for you. I desire virtue because of you. I am a man through you. I will argue for you. I am humble for you. I am quiet for you. I look ahead because of you. For you, I have forgotten the past. The life of a man is contemplative, but you have made this experience peaceful. You remain through my ignorance, you adjust to my insolence, you console my fever, you renew my spirit. My wife, where would I be without you? I would be stagnant, and I would know only compression if I did not have you. But I know growth, and only growth from your kiss, which is your embrace. Growth. Another exquisite work. Exquisite. Thank you. You know, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what made them great in your eyes? To be honest with you, my because everything that I practice comes from the philosophy in the Bible, my greatest influence is David, the psalmist. Um Poetry, I don't, I don't really have a particular favorite um, artist, but David is my number one, and I can say that even though I don't follow specific poets, um, Alice Walker is her writing, her her writing style, I should say, because there are different types of writing styles. There's there's the Alice Walker writing style, there's the Maya Angelou writing style, there's the Robert Frost writing style. And Robert Frost's writing style is the approach from a from a story. Maya Angelou's um writing style this, this is in my opinion. Yes. Maya Angelou's writing style, um, in my opinion, is the approach from a story, but it's it's the approach from a story for for empowerment, uh political and mental. Alice Walker Alice Walker, in her poem, for example, The Right to Life, 
um, where she's she's talking about abortion from a positive perspective according to the African American to where every African American should be thankful for abortion so that their child can escape the seeds of hatred that they will face when they're born. And the way that she frames that poem, it's so direct and it's so potent that to me, I connect with that. I connect with her style completely. And so for me, when I listen to David, uh, the psalmist, and not simply just the emotion that he gets out in his writing, but also the the wisdom that he also un, unfolds. That is inspirational to me. And also when I look at Alice Walker and I look at the way that Alice Walker gets her thoughts across in a way that is absolutely ridiculous to us, for example, in her poem, Be Nobody's Darling, where she's talking about the fact that you need to be you and you do not do not need to care that you are an outcast in your thoughts about how you live and the way that you think you should live. So her direct approach, I can say, is, is also inspirational, along with David's and the fact that when David also speaks, David renews the mind also, the, the thoughts in, in each in each of his lines, it's thought-provoking, and it's also refreshing to dissect the language from the first verse to the sixth. You go back to the sixth, back up to the first. You go down to the 28th. The 28th mixes with the eighth and the ninth and the tenth. Just the level of intellect in those psalms is, to me, um, just just beautiful. You know, all poets have several words that come up over and over again in their work, words they just can't help but use. What are three of mm-hmm. your absolute favorite words to use in your work? Yeah. The first is wisdom, the second is knowledge, and the third is love. All right, um, talk about those for a minute. Yeah, because because we think wisdom and knowledge are the same thing. And we associate love with with these two in whatever context that we think they are. But I love these three words, wisdom, knowledge, and love, because the definition of love, as I've come to understand it from studying the Bible's philosophy, is edification. And so when when we're edifying ourselves, we're coming into a knowledge of who we are and who we are not. And that equates to wisdom that we can apply outwardly as we go about living in this body and interacting with, with other minds in other bodies. And so when I'm, when I'm writing, I don't use these words over and over, but you'll mm. see them more often because they're just, they're important to me. Like, they're, they're, they're important to me because so much of what we think we know and what we think we ought to know is based on traditional language and also societal value and also community community knowledge or community understanding. And to break away from these three things is to actually own who we are as a person. And so when I'm writing, my poetry is based on me trying to understand who I am as a, as a person. So love... 
wisdom and knowledge are the three most important things because without these, I can't know me and I can't love me and I can't love anyone else outside of me. Profoundly stated, please share another of your works. Do. And I'll take another one from my book. And this one I, is entitled No. It's entitled No. K N O W. Yes. You are addition and good multiplication. You are not division or subtraction. You have changed me. My behavior is wise. My mind is composed. My feelings are mature. My thoughts are able. Your allure is categorized as wisdom. It is identified as understanding. The intellect of your heart instructs. And with every interaction, I am corrected. I am edified. I am counseled. I am bettered. So although I cry, tasting many tears, and although I sleep for fear of waking more error, I may smile. Because of you, I smile. And because of you, I bottle much sorrow. And I must be lucky, or at least fortunate. Because you ask for every bottle of sorrow, and I give disinterested in what is done with them. It is as if you hold the book of my prayers and burn it, alleviating my person, making life bearable. My priestess, my wife, why do you enjoy putting my temple in order? How is my home your concern? You will to create within me, being honorable in your desire and majestic in your operation. Because it is as if through purchasing beauty, through decorating fascination, through reprimanding love, through order, your care has increased along with your fondness for me. You govern my temple and increase in love, giving me yourself, sacrificing your organs on the altar of my affection. Never have I smelled love before, but now I do. Never have I tasted affection, but now I cooperate with it. You move for me. You are silent for me. You behave for me. You justify for me. You create for me and are forgiving me. All for nothing I've done, or at least for what I cannot discern. Is this love? Am I within love? Recall our frustration. Remember our fights. Rehearse the pain we cause each other and wonder about love. Because where has it all gone? Why are we at peace? What then is love's sin? Is it separation? Is the death of love misunderstanding? When apart, we were bad, but now, sharing a home, we are still, we communicate, we learn, we are equally teachable. What is this love? What is this experience? Because it surely is no emotion, but is senseless, abusive, benevolent, wise, comforting. You have added love. You are the first, and I have made you the last. 
You have added love to my life, making me aware of my person, returning to my nature its lost sensitivity. You have taught me that love is knowledge and that to love is to know. Know with me, my love, loves light. Know with me, my wife, loves constellation. Give me knowledge of love and I will never leave you and the confession of love and I will return it. Know with me, my love, every part of love. I am sick of love. I am overcome with affection, needing one to shower, needing one to console. Time and chance has therefore pitied me, giving me my prayer. They grew tired of hearing me. They grew tired of my pathetic plea as I destroyed myself to their mind and became a beast to their understanding. Is this what moves them? Do they like a broken heart? I must admit so, because they returned an apology and in a most elegant form, according to the words of my supplication. This they did, I believe, for knowledge and for knowing the height of existence that I may better my nature from bettering hers. No. Wow. That one really needs to sink in. No. All about knowing. knowing. All about knowing. Love. Knowing. All about knowing. Very nice. Now let's go back in time to the age of seven. Yep. Was there a specific experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Anything specifically come to mind? You're saying a moment in time where I sat down and started writing or a specific experience that led me into discovering that I can actually sit down and write something to express what I'm thinking? Either one. Okay. (laughs) I would say, (laughs) you know, I would say, you know, just, um, just the concept of or educational institution at even at that young age realizing that something was missing from my education at school and realizing that in a sense my parents were trying to overcompensate for what they were not doing with what the institution should be doing and so recognizing that 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 lacking or that that loss of instruction practical instruction both in school and at home i i began to realize that society was a little bit different and i began to realize that the the direction that i'm supposed to be going into is a direction where i must be i must be numb i have to be numb in my mind to be the sort of citizen I'm I'm being raised to be. And that was very frustrating. And having no idea of why that was frustrating or how that could possibly be frustrating, but sensing inconsistency in in both of the worlds that I had at home and at school, then I realized I I have to do something. I have to do something to understand me. I have I have to get this out. This is something's killing me, and I don't know how, so yeah. just sitting down and writing absolutely anything and at that time, I wasn't raised in a in a religious house 
for I was raised with the knowledge of a prevailing eye keeping watch over us. So most of my poems at that at that young time were, po- were were me writing to that eye or that mind or that God that I knew was out there watching but wasn't interfering in the loss that I felt. And that was the beginning of my poetry. You know, so much is happening. So much is happening in the world. As you think about knowing, as you think about being skeptical, what is the role of a poet in modern-day society? Awareness. Tell me more. All I can do or all my fellow poets can do is raise awareness, awareness leading into into self. And that's that's kind of interesting because at this time the whole COVID thing, the more people I'm speaking to, the more the more I'm hearing is that the subject of self reflection and of I guess loneliness is an issue because now we're not in the public anymore. Now we're home alone and the majority are working alone or are on un- unemployment and the issue is now dealing with who we are. And so as as we see society and the trend of society, um, whether it's political or religious or secular or whatever realm that we're involved in that we take particular interest in, the issue of raising awareness for how to think and how to feel, how to act, and how to behave better and how to reflect that in an articulate and creative and critical way. So to to me, as I look at the poet, that number one job responsibility is, is raising awareness of not simply who you should be societally, but who the society within you should be, how it shouldn't be dictated, but how you should take control of it personally and dictate it into what it should be. Awareness. That's the only word I can think of. Is right. Because it's, you know, everything that we, from, from the beginning of time where it's been voices standing out for injustice or some specific injustice being defined by a group that another group doesn't see is an injustice. Awareness. The, the poet for society has to be a gauge of of what to be aware of and what to be cautious about, not necessarily from what can harm you physically, but at this point in time and in this age, we're in an, an age of war information. It's an information war that's going on. The the warfare is not physical anymore. The slavery the slavery is not physical anymore. The slavery is mental. And it's it's getting to a point that it's it's pretty gross. And so the true poet has to raise awareness to the harm that's happening both mentally and spiritually to their person and to to other persons. Mm. Uh, 
interesting way of looking at things, especially in terms of awareness. It broadens my mind. Thank you. Thank you. Share another of your works, please. This one is, again, taken from the book Growth. It is called Clarification. How short is time? This life, it is nothing. In the time encapsulating it, it is nothing at all. But a witness to the fact that we should live, that we should live wisely in and with love for so long as we are limited by time and for so long as we will. And this is the lesson that you have taught me, that a certain will is joined to life. To have that will is to have life's intelligence catering to our mind. Because we first accept subjection to life's mind. Because we would be regulated by life's spirit. Because we would listen to life for our obedience. Wisdom is given to beautify our experience and knowledge to color our vision. Because you make life livable. You make life wonderful. The pain of circumstance, the aggravation of stimulus, the joy of abuse, the exhaustion of sorrow is perfected by wisdom and is hushed by understanding that I may see you and that I may discern your worth. I can't anymore think on what to feel sorry over. You have clarified my mind and have cleared the conscience of my person that I may enjoy me and that I may also discern your worth. Yet there is, but not really, a downside to your presence. You add consciousness. So now being conscious, I feel more and do truly observe more. There is pain when observing more. Before you, I observed less and felt neither joy nor sorrow. Yet knowledge distorts environment, and that distortion, although blessed, is but an aggravation of the heart's cord. So, so do I think your effect is bad? Should I? Maybe if I was another man. If I was another man? I couldn't take your revelation, but I am lucky that I am me, and that my inquiry is into myself, because I value you, who is my spirit, and know that if you leave, I will be empty. Clarification. Clarification. Let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back.
Linwood Jackson Jr. This is also a call-in show. So if you'd like to speak with Linwood, the call-in number is 646-787-1631. Linwood, tell me about your book, Growth. This book is important because for nine years I've been testing and proving the philosophy that is within the Bible. And the philosophy that is that is within the Bible is based on regenerating or regenerating the thoughts and the feelings. So regenerating the thoughts and the feelings to get a, a clearer or better view of the life that we're living. And I should say also the life that we're not living so that we can then begin to live it in full. Each one of these poems really tells a story about the conflict of me learning how to marry my thoughts and my feelings to my character. And that's also something that that's an issue because that, for me, um, being told what to think about how I should be both at home in my society, you, you kind of get lost about how you should personally think your own self. And you kind of get lost about how you should, the person you should be. And so that, the philosophy in the Bible that is, is important to me because the liberation that it, that, it, that it counsels on, the liberation of thought and feeling, that your thoughts and feelings should not be ultimately dictated by mother, father, best friend, teacher, expert in knowledge, or whoever we look to as some kind of substitute for the thinking that we should be doing. It is saying to ditch that substitute. You don't need that substitute. The the information that you have thus far, good. So now let the information you have thus far be, be pruned and proved by the person that is within you personally. Experiment with it. Examine it. Test it. Prove it. Put it to the test to see if it really is you and to see if it really is authentic. And if it's not authentic in a sense that it's you, you are defend, you are defining authenticity. If it's not authentic, let it go and realize that the fear that may come from you letting that go, that's all right. Take that fear and let that fear add knowledge to you as you just move in darkness to discover a light that is there for you. And growing up, up until this point in time, that has been a beautiful experience because we're so locked into tradition in whatever field or sphere that we're in, education, home, uh, church, sports. There is a traditional way of doing things, but when you simply just let go and stop caring about what you are made to care about and to learn that you're a creation and that what you're created to care about, it's not going to be what others care about because you are a creation. When you learn to let go and to simply learn who you are and enjoy who you are, that the liberty, the liberty that comes from that is something I try to capture in this book. And through each poem, although there is, either a confession of conflict or 
satisfaction or dissatisfaction or insecurity or or something that is human there is in the next maybe three poems after you read that one based off of that one there's there's a result and there's you can see the the gauge of person in each one of these poems from the nine years that I began writing these poems up until this this point in time and I love this book because it's it's so me and as I'm looking at it and reviewing it and all of the interactions I've had with other people I'm seeing that what's so me is so you and is so everyone else and there's nothing separating us we're all going through the same things we're all going through the same thoughts we're all feeling exactly the same way but what's not what we're not hearing is the story we're not hearing we're not hearing anyone voice we're not hearing anyone relate or make relatable the struggle that it is to be human and in this book that's what this book is this book is a human being learning not to necessarily cope with his human condition but to rise above that condition to instruct that condition to be able to think and feel better so that he can regulate himself and not have that condition regulate him. And I think it's a beautiful book, and I'm glad that I I put it out there into this world for every mind to come across. Is your book available on Amazon? It is available on Amazon. If you go into Amazon and you type my name, Linwood, and you write the, the word growth next to it, you'll see it pop up right there or if you go into Amazon and you type Linwood Jackson Jr. you'll see all my books show up and then plus this book of poetry how many books have you written Uh, a total of six books seven books yeah well when you think about my first book of poetry okay beautiful when you think about your works, your books, do you want each book to stand on its own? Or are you trying to build a body of work with connections between each book? Yeah. That's 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 a good question because each each book is an introduction to a subject that has to be emphasized and, and built up upon. And that's something that I already know going into publishing, that I'm publishing, this is the first installment, even though I'm not calling it a first installment in the title. I know mm-hmm. that this this is a body of knowledge that has to be emphasized and will be emphasized in the next book. And so with each book, there is enough um, written in there for that particular moment. It's almost like, a suspense or, you know, you can only handle so much in a particular lecture at a specific time, a 45-minute period, and then after that, the brain just goes off. So, like, each each book is just grounded in an introductory thought that will then be emphasized in the next book and then greater emphasized in the next book and then greater emphasized in the next book. Share, share another poem, please. 
again from my book, Growth. This is entitled, Rare. Your light and dark hair, your thick and soft skin, your sure and intelligent hands and feet, your strong legs, your nourishing breath, your wise lips, your understanding eyes, the rare shape and structure of your form, the course of your tongue, the benevolence of your thighs, the comfort of your arms means nothing to the essence of your person or the revelation of your disposition, the beauty of your individuality, the allure of your mind. I love you, my love. I love every part of you. I love you, my spirit, my soul's greater portion. I love every part of you, and I love what you are not. Isn't this love? Have you never edified me? Have I never seen who you are? Am I ignorant of your ugliness? Have you never let me understand you? That you are complicated because you love. And because you love, you are complicated. My dedication to you is authentic. My devotion to your lips is real. Because although you are imperfect, you remember my frailty. And because of your response to my weakness and of your thoughts toward my condition, I am inclined to make your existence lighter and to edify myself on how to do so. Love works. Love balances. If we never took turns engaging humility, we would fail. But more than the feeling of pain and of embarrassment is the memory of pain and the memory of embarrassment watering the heart to sprout a garden of mindfulness keeping the person aware of love you are rare because of your love's spirit your love is developed your love is recovering your affection is genuine you naturally care I admire you my love I admire you because of your thoughtful generosity. Where can a man find such a woman? What man has such a woman? On earth, you will never find her. Under the earth, you won't see her. If looking above the earth, you will be deceived. If born without her, you have no hope. I died with you, and when you awoke, you put your mouth on mine and your hand ever so gently on my face and gave me your breath, opening my eyes and made love to me. But what is greater than death's sensation? What is greater than warmth? What about the memory of your spouse? How imperfect they are to console their error. Isn't this true comfort? Isn't this what love is made of? How am I mindful of this and no other man is? How am I mindful of this and no other woman is? Everywhere and in every place, there are women. Yet not one of them knows the meaning of humility. 
everywhere and in every place there are women, and none are wise to love. The species born to love and born to feel are more than their opposite. They do not know or have knowledge of true and timeless affection. My heart is broken. My heart is broken for Earth's condition. Because where there are no women, there is no counsel. I have seen many women and yet continue to do so. And with all that I have seen from every place, none know the meaning of being still. Being compromised by a love within their nature. But when I look at you, my love, I can see that you are rare. Being no different from what I do see, but being mindful of your nature to instruct it. Because you instruct you, you can instruct me. And because I learn from you, I can be who I truly am. So that you can never be ashamed of who you are. My wife, feel my love and continually regenerate. Show your face and let me love you. Let me love you because you love you. Let me love you because I love me. Let's make love because we are love. And let's create love because we are spirit. Rare. You know, they say that to see the world with complete honesty, you should look to comedians, artists, and poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your work? What emerges from you? What emerges from me, that's a tough question because... (laughs) (laughs) That's a tough question because I would love to... (laughs) That's why they pay me the big bucks. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. It's so funny because so many people, they tell me, if only you could see yourself, you would know. Mm. You would know what your words are saying because every time I... My my response, my what I say to make them respond to that is, I have no idea how my words impact. And so their response is, if you could only see you, if you could only step out, if you could just widen that box of yours a little bit more. But for me, as I as I look back at at what I write, and as I look back at the experience within those writings. It's more of it's more of mindfulness, mindfulness, uh-huh. and not being ashamed to admit that you are confused, because it's it's the it's the feeling of confusion that makes us want to act tough, and that makes us want to act like I'm really just not that confused. I'm just going to pretend like I'm not, and I'm just going to follow what someone else is doing, and put my head down, and as, as long as their umbrella is kind of sounding like what my umbrella is, I'm just going to hang up under that umbrella. And so in my writings, it's more of don't be afraid to feel, especially if you are male. Don't be afraid to feel. Don't be afraid to judge yourself. And don't be afraid to understand that you have a frequency that is not somebody else's frequency and that you have a worth that is greater than what you think your worth is. Your worth is higher than what you think it is. 
You are valuable, even though you may not have anyone telling you so, even though you may not see anything positive in what you do. In my writings, I, especially in my poetry, I care to get the idea out that you are, you are more than what you think you are, and who you are right now is not who you're supposed to be and is not as authentic as it should be. So whoever is reading my, my poetry and whenever I reflect on my own poetry, it's always a lesson for myself and a bit of correction to live the most authentic life as I can at this point in time until I'm corrected onto what is more authentic. I like that. You've written a number of books. Does writing energize or exhaust you? Writing does not exhaust me one bit because... <laughs> I can tell. In, I can tell. And I will, I'll, I'll say the flip, too. It doesn't energize me either. So it doesn't energize me and it doesn't exhaust me. It humbles me because when I can when I can sit down and write, I'm actually learning about the person that is within me. I'm I understand that the way I look on the outside, that's not who I am on the inside. The 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 muscles and the bones and the face structure and the eyebrows and the hair and all of that, that's not that's not who I am. I am constricted to this to this this form. Who I am is inside, and every time I write, every time I sit down to write, I'm getting closer to who I am, and so I'm neither energized about it because I'm realizing that who I am isn't actually who I think I am, so it's a reflection, and I'm not exhausted by it because I'm more enlightened to who I am, and that enlightening is encouraging for me to live genuinely. And so when I when I write, it's more of 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 that that necessary humility that I need that I know I need, and also a bit of self discipline and instruction that I I I can't get from anyone else because nobody else is me, and nobody else is going through what I'm going through, even though they're seeing my life, and even though I'm seeing their life, I can only advise them so much, and so writing is a is a way is a tool or an instrument to instruct and to counsel and to correct and to get the imagery get the imagery straight of what we perceive reality to be and what it should not be. So when I when I do write it's not energizing and it's not exhausting. It's 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 I guess the middle ground is alleviating or refreshing. Yeah. Does knowing that your poems are published and out there in the world validate your being a poet, or are you content knowing that they're out of your system? I don't. I don't think they validate me as as being a, a poet, and that's. That's a tricky question because 
once they get out into the public, they're not mine anymore, and so they belong to they they belong to two different realms. So the first realm that they belong to are are individ are, are individual people that when they hear me, they feel me, and they vibe they vibe off of my vibe. My vibe is their vibe. So that's the public. That's the first realm. The second realm that my work goes into is the realm of gatekeepers. And in every in every field, there's gatekeepers, and there's gatekeepers in poetry. Yeah, so, so true. Yeah, and so in order for me to answer your question, to, do I feel as a poet? For one, I have to be judged by the public as a poet, and two, I have to be judged by gatekeepers as a poet, and whether or not I am a poet, depending on whatever gatekeeper would accept me as a poet, I'm not going to be a poet, or I am going to be a poet, or depending on the public that accepts me, I'm not going to be a poet, or I am going to be a poet, which, you know, is a bit of reflection for me, because personally, um, as you said, finishing off that sentence, is I put it out there not for um, any bit of recognition. I put it out there for somebody vibing with my vibe and having difficulty with who they are as a human being and who they are as a spiritual being to hear, to connect with, to grow from, and then to, to perfect their own transition from who they were to who they should be. So, and if, and if, and if that person regards me as a poet, well, hey, I mean, I wasn't trying for it, but that's what happened. But in the realm of, of of the public world that my, that I am now in, I'm now in the public along with my books and wherever I go now, it's, it, it, it comes down to, comes down to gatekeepers and these gatekeepers they don't want to they don't care about vibing with you these gatekeepers don't care about how cute you are these gatekeepers don't care about how how eloquent you are these gatekeepers they have an agenda and if what you're saying doesn't follow that agenda you're not going to be who they think you should be or you are going to be who they think you should be but for that other realm the public, the, the individuals that that are out there in this world that are that are supporting me and that that have my same level of frequency and that see me and that read my works and that value who I am, to them I will be a poet. And honestly, that's really all that matters to me. You know, we've almost reached the end of the program, Linwood. But I Sadly. think we have time for one more poem from you, if that's possible. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I'll actually, I will actually end, I'll actually end end this with a poem that is not in my book, and it is called Van Meets. The eye. It is called Van Meets the Eye. Your trust is phenomenal. 
There is nothing within me worth trusting. Yet you lend confidence, putting faith in me. Why do you trust me? Why are you confident that I will not fail? How is it that you know, even above my own self, my worth? I know that you know I'm imperfect. I know that you know I'm unbalanced. I know that you see and hear without error. Yet you trust the erroneous. You bless the ignorant. You guide the uncertain. And you do so effortlessly as if seeing more than meets the eye. Your blessing is rare. I know only judgment from how I look, and I know the opinion of the beholder, that it is determined from what is outwardly perceived and not from what is within. You see what is within and judge. You acknowledge my heart and then decide which is rare for someone judged for their imperfect constitution. If beauty is in the eye of the beholder, then how misunderstood is the definition of beauty? You behold what is hidden. What is unknown is magnified to your eye, and from what is revealed, you love. So then thank you and bless you for seeing who I am, for what I am not. Thank you and bless you for caring for who I am and for respecting who I am not. The price to pay for faith is love. And from your demonstrated faith in me, I can freely love who I am. I can also love who I am not. You trust me because you can see me. You trust me because your intuition has taken knowledge of me. You trust me because I, watching how you trust me, have come to learn how to trust myself. Hmm. Then meets the eye. Wow. You're a powerful man. Much appreciated. Your work transcends space and time. I like that. One last question for me. When people hear your work, I'm sure they usually want more. What's next for you as a poet? As a poet, well, took nine years to make this one, so <laughs> back into the womb for another nine years. <laughs> <laughs> well, it may not take you that long the next time since you, you know the process. This is now. true. This is true. This is true. It may not. But that's what's next, you know. It's um, what's next is feeling more and going through more so that I can better have a grasp on, on discovering who I am through poetry. Wow. Very nice. Very nice. I am so glad that you were with me tonight. I really am. I'm glad it all worked out. Thank you. I had a bit of trouble coming in, but it's beautiful to be here. Beautiful yes, to express, beautiful. beautiful to talk, beautiful to, to connect. 
They were very nice. It was it was a beautiful program. I learned a lot about you and about myself as I listened to your work. Thank you. All right. Well, to our listening audience, I say good night to my guest, Linwood Jackson Jr. I say you've got a very bright future. Continue being you, loving you, creating you. Just continue on your journey. Good night, everyone. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.